welcome to the Open House Podcast with James Tatum. This podcast is about conversations that we have in the gym. Everything from training methods, techniques, massage, and other odd topics to come up. So make sure you subscribe, leave a review. It all helps us out. What's up, George? How are you doing today? Hey, how's it going, Coach? Um, doing well. Just been doing a lot of homework lately. Started school back up, taking a, a biology class and then like an argument of research data class. So it's pretty interesting. How you been? Nice. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. I'm I'm recovered from COVID and uh, back to training, back to back to coaching. Uh, so, uh, you know, ready to get going. So you're going to school for uh, exercise science or what are they calling it? Yeah. So it's exercise science with a concentration in kinesiology. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, it's. It's interesting, different universities kind of call it different things like, uh, and they're all pretty much the same, but it's just like exercise science, physical education. Um, and that kinesiology is another popular one where they just call it kinesiology. So it's, uh, it's interesting what different universities call it, but it's all pretty much the sim the same meaning as far as like professionally, but then, uh, and each school really does have a little bit of a different, different feel when I went to school everything was about endurance and running. So all of like the main courses were like, Oh, heart rate. And it was all like tracking heart rate stuff. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is so boring. Like when do we get into the strength stuff? And, uh, they just barely touched on strength stuff. And I was kind of disappointed. Yeah. So this biology class I'm taking right now is pretty boring. Cause it's just kind of like about the basic biology. So like cells and how they operate and charges and stuff like that. But, um, it kind of got my brain moving in a way of like thinking like a scientist, I guess, so like the scientific method, like getting that refresh from my brain. It's kind of giving me a different perspective when looking at things, maybe even for weightlifting, like maybe I should try this or try that and see if it actually works. Just kind of like form a hypothesis, I guess. But the argument of data research is really good because um, it basically makes you practice critical thinking more often. So like in the past, I would kind of just read something like kind of passively, but now it's like every time I read something, I'm like, oh, what percent of this is that? Or what is this? Like, when does this date back to this? Or is this a fact or is this opinion? So it's got just different, got me thinking a little bit different. So no, they had to like kind of really analyze what you're, uh, what you're actually reading. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's definitely valuable because, I mean, there's just so much stuff out there now. I mean, you, you know, I'm not trying to make this political, but like that whole like Russian uh, Russian bots. Uh, I think they were saying like there was like these far right Christian Facebook groups and like 90% of them were made in Russia to like um, to sway, I don't know, that group of people for some political reason. Um, which is kind of interesting. And it's just like, if you actually go through and you kind of read and you, uh, you kind of look at it, I don't know, objectively, and you kind of analyze it, you can kind of see like, that's where some of these weird motivations are coming from. So, I mean, that, I mean, I could see that being like a very valuable skill in like the internet age. Yeah, we were actually studying this. It was like a 17-page paper on speech codes. So it's talking about universities trying to get rid of like, or not get rid of, but they're trying to get more universities to be on the page of free expression. So they would grade them off of like red light, green light, or yellow light. And red light would be like 
a quarter of the private institutes, like private universities were red lighted because they would hide their speech codes. So like what you could actually talk about on campus and stuff, you could only see if you were a student. So like for prospective students, they wouldn't be able to see what they're allowed to express or there may be like a free speech zone. So you'd only be able to like have free expression in certain areas of the campus. And that's just kind of like the, what we were going around. Yeah, that sounds strange to me. You you can only have free expression during certain parts of the campus. Yeah, so they'll make like free speech zones and like you'd have to, and even to use the free speech zone, like you can't just go over there and be like, okay, I'm going to express myself freely today. You have to like give the campus like a two two day or like a week notice to use that area. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know what the... Uh, what it was a little bit different in school, but uh, we they used to let speakers come in to uh, to my school. It was a, it was UNCW, and I graduated in 2011, so it was a little a little bit a uh, little bit older. But it's uh, they would invite these people that would just like stir up controversy with like students. So then they'd be they bring in like this super controversial, uh, like very outgoing like. Um, pastor and if you again if you looked at it accurately you could tell it was just like an actor but then he would like make conversation started because then it'd be like uh he would just be like oh yeah you're going to hell like <laughs> you're you're doing this like and he would just like come out with, off with these like wild statements that was like the original version of clickbait i guess i don't know but um and the university yeah. finally they would just like approve them and then then there would be like real people that would come on that would talk about real things but then occasionally they they'd throw in like a whack job like that and yeah it's a little crazy because um from the gist that i was getting like public public universities they have to uphold the first amendment like there's a lot of schools that got in trouble like basically got took to court and sued i guess but then the private institutes can kind of just do whatever they decide is necessary Mm. so is yours a what what school are you going to uh, so right now, yeah right now i'm going to pierce it's in uh tacoma so yeah they're public okay yeah yeah that's wild i uh i don't think i would want to uh get back in with that crowd i don't think i'd want to go back to school get into the university things i enjoyed school but i don't i, I don't think i'd want to do it again yeah, the argument of research is cool because it's a critical thinking aspect, but like it's a lot of reading and writing that kind of gets boring. But the biology school, because we do a lot of labs, like we did two labs on Tuesday. So we were in there for almost five hours, but it seemed like 30 minutes almost just because it was like we we're actively engaged. Yeah, that's cool. So that's a, you know, that brings me to a topic that we were talking about in the gym the other day is um, it was me and Marson talking about it and he was talking about like, so he goes in the morning and he does like a, like a 30 minute walk or like 30 minute, like light cardio every morning. Um, and he used to just listen to music while he was on there. And then he, I don't know, he listened to some, like, uh, some statement. I don't remember who it was from. Um, but it was like, you retain stuff better when you're engaged, whether it's like, if you're walking, like you will retain things better. So if you listen to something educational while you're walking, you will retain it better rather than just sitting down. Um, 
And so like the same thing, like if you're sitting there and you're engaged with some like lab, it's a little bit easier to focus and pay attention. It's like you get into that flow state and that five hour seems like 30 minutes. Um, so kind of like that same idea, Marcin was like, I need to like, uh, try out some of these, uh, you know, educational podcasts or something, uh, while he's on his like 30 minute morning walks. So that thought that was kind of interesting, you know, just using that as a chance to, you know, focus in and, you know, retain more information. Yeah. My biology teacher actually mentioned something about that. Cause you know, there's like the visual learners, auditory learners, and like hands-on learners and he was basically saying that like realistically everyone's every single one of those just may be stronger at one of the other ones but when it comes to actually learning experience like you were talking about is the fastest and most effective way of learning anything yeah just just because of the way it stimulates the brain so like your brain will get stimulation from thinking about it and then your brain will get extra stimulation by actually doing the activity so it's like you're getting double the stimulus from, from it and you're actually retaining it better apparently. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. There's a, there's something else that I just recently learned that uh, um, I'm trying to pull it up right now. No, I thought it was like the five stages of learning, but that's something different, but yeah, there's a lot of neat things with, uh, with learning that you can apply to, you know, even weightlifting, you know, how you learn and how you can uh, use these tricks to get better at weightlifting. Um, so the, uh, yeah, I can't find it. It was something about like the way that you store memory and how you can retrieve memory and all these different things. Um, but movement has like a big role in that, you know, being able to focus. Um, and it was, I, uh, I also took a continuing education course for uh, massage therapy. Um, and it was actually a continuing education course about how to teach massage therapy students. And which I, I chose to do that one because I thought, oh, there's lots of carryover with, um, you know, coaching, you know, coaching and teaching. There's a lot of carryover there. And they were talking about the different, uh, the different ways that you learn. And then, you know, just reading something are just like drilling it like flashcards over and over, you know, it only does so much, you know, you have to like accompany your learning with, you know, something that makes sense. So whether that's like a physical thing, or if you're watching a video on how to do something, you know, that like, that makes things click a little bit better. So then you kind of get, you know, those different, um, you get all of them. So you kind of learn a little bit better, you know, you get that uh, visual auditory and that, you know, that kinesthetic, that movement type learner. Um, and then you just kind of check all those boxes, which is, a uh, yeah. eh, it's kind of neat. Speaking of something else that was pretty interesting, we were talking about how, um, let's say you take two people who do not know how to play a piano and you have one of them practice for 30 minutes a week or every day for 30 minutes. Sorry. It's every day. Yeah. And then you have another one practice for 15 minutes and then visualize it for 15 minutes every day. And they would end up with the same results hmm. after a couple months. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, the piano is wild. That's like, I don't know anything about music because I'm not musically inclined, but like sometimes you can just like tell like that's some crazy stuff, you know, stuff that you can do with the piano and like some of those people that are really good at the piano. 
Yeah, it's, it's just crazy impressive. That just visualizing it can actually make you that much better at something. Just like sitting there and visualizing something. Yeah, I know there's some stories about uh, that weightlifter snatching 160 cold just from visualizing. You know, there's the I think it was Yuri Vardanian where he uh, a bunch of people bet him some bunch of money that he couldn't snatch 160 cold and then he uh went to warm up with the bar and they were like no you can't warm up with the bar so then he just sat down for like 15 minutes and he visualized uh himself doing his entire warm-up and like through his visualization he was like sweating and like getting excited and then he was able to go snatch 160 cold and <laughs> you know it probably was not safe but you know the good thing is is that he was on lots of drugs so you know his muscles were prepared for you know, whatever. And he probably trained that morning as well. So, you know, his body was awake a little bit. Um, but either way that you look at it, that's an impressive feat. Um, even for, you know, you know, I think what, what was his best? Like his best was like 180 something. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure it was 180. Yeah. So he totaled 400. He totaled one... over 400. Yeah, I know when he totaled 400, it was 180 and then um, 220. Mm, yeah, that's an impressive. And he was weighing like, what, 82? Pretty yeah. sure he was weighing 82 during that. Yeah, 82.5 was that weight class, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. It's wild. It's impressive. But uh, yeah, I mean, the visualization, you know, that, that's a, you know, that's an interesting thing. You know, like the, there's definitely things that you can take from his training, you know, that you can apply immediately. And I think visualization is one of them. Lots of, yeah. uh, I was going to say, I seen him, um, I seen a YouTube video about him and they were saying that he was standing in the mirror and just visualizing himself, like basically doing jerks or snatches or cleans for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes at a time. And he would just look at himself and picture himself doing it over and over and over again. And apparently that's how it's, how he perfected his technique because you know his technique was a little bit different than everyone else's but yeah i would not say he had good technique <laughs> you know you i mean i guess you can't really say he doesn't have good technique because he had the highest like total ever but like it did not look smooth like <laughs> it uh it looked um it looked raw. kind of yeah it looked raw you know he was very yeah. reactive um so there was a little bit of like uncontrolled movement, like Lasha, he looks controlled. Like, you know, he's still lifting the most that anyone has ever lifted before. Um, and it's a, like a controlled movement. Um, but Vardanian was like, a well, you go the difference between, um, between Nork and his son uh, who had very controlled technique. You know, you ever watched Nork's, it looked good, you know, um, but Yuri's looks a little wild. Um, and you know, what did Nork total? I think Nork, when he was training for Armenia, I think he totaled like, I don't know, maybe 380, 380 something. I think he snatched 180 and clean and jerked maybe 205 or 210. So maybe he totaled 390. I don't know. Um, so he did pretty good. Um, you know, he had a pretty big total, not quite as much as his dad's, but it was still, you know, still up there. And, um, of course, Nork got popped at that meet, so it didn't count, but, um, you know, that's, 
it's still a big total and he had much more control. So it uh, could have just been a little bit of Yuri uh, Vardanian's, you know, reactiveness and control. He was just kind of ready for any situation that kind of came up, um, which is a good skill to have. Well, looking at older lifters compared to lifters now, would you, I would almost say that the newer lifters are more of a more technician than they would be like overall just power and aggression compared to like older lifters. Cause like you look at some of the older Bulgarians too. It looks like they just get in there and just sling weight around. And the technique is, I mean, it's there, but it's not, I guess it wasn't prioritized as much as it is now. When you look at a lot of like the Chinese weightlifters and the Japanese weightlifters and even the American weightlifters, it seems like technique is a lot more, it's prioritized a lot more now. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a couple factors. So one, it was 1972 when they took out the uh, clean and press. And I don't remember what year it is. It was that they started allowing um, the bar to make contact with the hips. So it used to be that you couldn't make contact. And so when you snatch, you had to keep it way out in front of you. You had to be a lot more muscular and I think it takes a while for the, like the new generation of coaches to kind of come up to like really know how to coach a new technique. Um, and I think also the body type of weightlifters probably changed, you know, the weightlifters that were successful probably changed pretty dramatically after that 1972, once they took out the press. And then I don't remember what year it was when they, it was before that, when they started allowing contact. Um, on the snatch and the clean, but I think it's, there's probably a delay of coaching, um, with new techniques and new, like taking the press out completely changed the sport of weightlifting. It went from like the weightlifters looking strong and muscular to, you know, these people with kind of skinny arms that are fast and athletic that tended to do well, you know, they had a chance to do well as well. Um, you know, you still have some strong muscular weightlifters, um, and they do well. It's not like hindering them, but now like the skinny Bulgarians can do well. Um, also, they probably didn't have as much technology and video like to uh, analyze it. So they, they probably couldn't tell like they, they probably did not know which technique was the best. Um, yeah, trying to compare and contrast amongst each other. I can see that for sure. Yeah, everything everything would just be real time. You couldn't really just go back and replay yeah. it or compare it and see like the right bar path or, you know, things like that, um, because you know they just wouldn't they just wouldn't have that data kind of readily available. Right now, I can film you from the side, put it into this app, and then get the bar path, and then boom, we got it. Um, so it's just like immediate data that we can start using. Um, I think now you have to be careful about overanalyzing, but uh, for the most part, I think it is a really good addition to the sport and um, a great tool for coaches that they didn't have back then. But yeah, I would agree. The technique does look better now. We're also filming it with better cameras, thanks to all things Jim and hook grip. So we could see that uh, the technique in slow motion. Um, so somebody put on a, uh, it was a um, Milwaukee barbell and they asked like a question and they, their question that they asked was, who was your favorite technician? And uh, somebody put Max Lang and which is, 
I would say that's accurate. He's got pretty nice looking technique. And then somebody put me too. And I was just like, eh, I don't know. I, I, I would always kind of put myself in the middle of the road as far as technique. Cause I definitely had some more of that, you know, wild reactive type things that, uh, you know, that like maybe not as much as, uh, as Yuri, but I was definitely more of like a, a react to the bar being out of position a little bit and still make the lift. Um, but I, yeah. was, I thought that was kind of funny. One good thing I would say about being raw and reactive like that is um, it allows you to keep like your aggression when it comes to lift. Because sometimes I feel like, just me personally, when I'm more raw and authentic like that, the weight moves faster and easier compared mm-hmm. to when I'm actually trying to be a technician. Because then um, I guess trying to find that right balance between the two. Because if you think about the technique or if you overanalyze the technique, then you're going to move slower. You may not be able to get under that bar when it's heavier. But then if you think about being raw and aggressive and you just kind of shut the brain off and let it flow, it moves a lot better. So yeah, like you're saying, I guess being in the middle somewhere would be better, but you're definitely, you're from watching your videos, your technique is definitely good. Once you made it past the first, I don't know, what was your powerlifting stages? So like how long were you stuck from that? Like in your, when you transitioned over? Yeah. I would say my technique started getting good, you know, before it was just like, really wild uh, i probably started getting good around 2014 yeah so i'd say 2014 and on your technique was pretty solid especially yeah. you can't double body weight snatch that technique come on now yeah yeah i guess that's true <laughs> i think that was in uh i think that was in 2015 was the double body weight snatch yeah i don't remember exactly somewhere around there um yeah, so it's uh, you know that uh, that also comes in with like GPP. You know, GPP has a big, uh, um, you know, that's a big physical a- aspect of how you can be reactive. Like, let's say if you are too, you know, too specialized, you know, and if you're out of position, you're it's like there's a highly uh, or a higher chance for you to get injured. Um, so I think the thing like Yuri, he was like a master of sport in like seven different sports. So he was like well-balanced and his body was ready for kind of multiple things coming from different directions. Um, and I think that's just, I think that's a valuable thing because if you're out of position a little bit, but you're well-prepared like that and you have a lot of a solid uh, general physical preparedness, like pretty much a solid base, you can get away with uh, things a lot safer. Yeah, because you never know, especially when things get heavy, you can get pulled out of position. Yeah, but then it like happens. you're saying if you're physically ready, then it'll just be like another rep and you'll move on and you won't get injured. Yeah, so my best competition snatch was 159 when I was in 85. And uh it uh it was it was university nationals in like 2016. And I remember uh, this was after the Olympic trials and all that. I remember snatching, and then when that bar was at my knee. I was like, oh, this thing is way out of position. Eh, whatever. I'm going to commit to it. Um, I felt like I was about to like fall forward. And uh, I just said, eh, you know, I was kind of like, eh, fuck it. Let's just do it. And, you know, in this split second while that bar was coming past my knee. And then, so I committed to it. And then when I look back at the video, it was like perfect. You know, it, uh, sometimes you think that you're out of position. Um, 
but really I wasn't, I mean, it was an, it was a great position. It was just a lot of weight and I wasn't used to carrying it uh, or holding it. But uh, you know, that having some GPP also gives you that confidence to, uh, to commit to things when you think you might be out of position, you know, it, it might feel a certain way, but in reality, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's good. And you don't know unless you commit to it. So that little story brings me in another thing. We were talking about tricks, uh, a cool little trick that you can do in training. Um, so what's not good in training is to Clark. Um, so that's Clark. Clark in a lift is when you like uh, pick the bar up to the hip and then you just drop it. You don't really give a, an honest attempt to go under the weight. You've convinced yourself that you're not going to make it. Uh, and that name came from this guy, um, uh, something Clark. I'm thinking it's Anthony Clark, but I, I think I might be getting the name confused with that powerlifter, Anthony Clark, that did reverse grip bench press, like 800 pounds. Um, but uh, he was a U.S. Olympian, and he went to the Olympics, and he, uh, his last name was Clark, and he Clarked all six lifts. Uh, at the Olympics. And so like, that was kind of like, eh, and now he's now, if you just pick up a lift to the hip and you drop it, that's called a Clark because of him. Cause he did that at the Olympics and that's what people remember him for. Um, so the, the trick to do is to never do that. I mean, if you think you're going to Clark it and you think you're not going to attempt it, like just don't pull it off of the ground. Do not get into that habit of Clarking. And um, the little mental trick that you can do is if you feel like you're going to do it, just step away from the bar, walk through a door, and then walk back into the gym. You know, sometimes just walking through a door is like a little mental trick to kind of make you snap, uh, snap out of it. Because I just something about uh, the psychology, whenever you walk through a door, you're walking through into another room, you know, your mindset changes. So all of a sudden you just walk out the door and you change your mindset out of that, like talking yourself out of it. And then when you walk back in, you kind of have a little bit of a refresh. You can, uh, you can, you know, attempt it with a, uh, with a clean slate and then go after the lift. Um, but I don't think I can stress enough how important it is to not Clark a lift because what you do in training is what you'll do in competition. And if you invite that possibility in, in training, it's, it's too easy for it to take over. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the real, um, I guess, textbook answer. So when it comes to me and lifting heavy, I try to approach every single weight the same way every single time. So from the warm up all the way up to the heaviest weight, so that by the time I get to the heavy weight, if it's like, oh, I'm just doing my warm up again, it just kind of tricks me into that routine. So it becomes a routine instead of actually lifting weights. It's like, oh, it's just another day I'm doing the same thing I do every single day, mm-hmm. which. That, that works for me a lot. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, what's interesting is I did something very similar, except I did it the other way around. Um, when I had light days, I used to imagine it was 160 on the bar so that I would like almost get like another chance to visualize because that was my goal was to snatch 160. Um, or I think it was actually 158. So a lot of times I would just visualize 158 and uh, I would use that as the opportunity to. Uh, you know, visualize because that day I was only snatching, you know, 110 kilos. I was like, all right, let's get visualizing here. And what I would visualize is I would visualize the competition loading on the bar. And then I would attempt it, you know, especially if it was like a, 
you know, sometimes you can't visualize going all out on like a light lift because then you'll just totally mess it up because your rhythm will be too rushed and fast. But uh, there's other times when you're like, when you're just feeling like shit and you have to attempt, you know, 75% with an all out effort. You know, there's days like that when you just beat down. And those are perfect days to just visualize the bar being heavier and just getting the practice because you know that you're going to make it because it's 75%. Um, but then you get a chance to uh, imagine that it's your goal weight. Yeah, those days are important too. You brought up COVID earlier. I'm like, I would say that those days where you're feeling, well, obviously if you have COVID, don't go on training. But if you just have like an upset stomach or you're not feeling too good that day, just to get in the gym and feel some type of weight would be better than none. Or if you're having a bad day, if you're just feeling really tired, just go a little bit lighter, you know, take a little bit off the bar just to help build that consistency. Because making those lifts when you don't feel good will translate to heavy lifts when you do feel good, I feel like, personally. Mm -hmm. Yep, huge. That's like one of the big benefits of, you know, no hook snatches is that um, not quite the same, but they feel heavy, but you still make them. So it's building that confidence. How it feels is a lie. Just commit to it. Uh, and you'll probably make it. Um, yeah. So COVID. Um, so it's, it's Thursday morning when we're recording this and I, uh, I got COVID two weeks ago, pretty much. And, uh, today was the first time that my, uh, my smell was back on track. So I love hot sauce. Like, I have eggs in the morning and I put hot sauce on it, whether it's like Tabasco, it's, it's just like a vinegary type hot sauce is the kinds of ones I like. And, um, after I got COVID and I tried to, uh, my son actually bought me a new bottle of Tabasco for, uh, Christmas. So I opened up the new bottle and I thought there was something wrong with it. Cause it smelled like, um, it smelled like rubbing alcohol or like almost like vodka. And, you know, it tasted about the same, but it, it smelled like, it. I thought I just got a bad bottle of tabasco and i was like oh man and uh, my son was all sad because i told him that the bottle that he bought me was bad and that we had to buy another one well he overheard us i didn't just go up and tell him um i'm not that mean <laughs> <gonna> say, savage. <laughs> <laughs> the christmas present you got me sucked ronan no <laughs> uh so i i should have been more careful because he did overhear me saying like oh we should get another bottle of tabasco and then he's like why i got you on like uh, so then we got the new one and the new one smelled the same way. And, um, we, uh, we ordered it online. I didn't go to the shopping center with COVID. Um, and, uh, so then I realized my smell is all messed up because of COVID. And, uh, today was the first day that my hot sauce tasted or smelled normal again. It was a, it was a big relief. Cause I was like, man, if I can't have hot sauce for like a month, this is going to suck. Um, I was going to say, did it taste the same? Yeah, it tasted, it did not taste, it did not taste like it smelled. I'll say that it didn't taste quite the same because smell, I think is just such a large part of taste. Uh, and it was hard to get past like rubbing alcohol in your nose while you're like eating eggs. And uh, so it was, I don't know. And I think it interfered too much. To yeah, make I was going to say, I was wondering if the taste would help bring like the smell back, but I guess not. Yeah. I don't know. I think it just took that time because now my, my hot sauce is back. And you know what? Something interesting that I learned that I just never thought about is that uh, sriracha is not a vinegar based hot sauce because sriracha still tasted good. So mm. Mm. 
valuable cooking lessons for me right there. Um, <laughs> I it was getting to the point where I wasn't having any sriracha. I've got a whole drawer of hot sauce in my refrigerator. Like I've got a lot of hot sauce. Um, the most thing that I use my sriracha for is, uh, to put on my, uh, Brussels sprouts when I grill them. And I'll use like some sriracha and some other stuff and kind of mix it in there. And it gets kind of like this thick paste that I spread on them. And then I grill them. It's pretty good. Since we're talking about sriracha, if you take sriracha and maple syrup, you'll get the best coating for your ribs. If you make any type of ribs. So Mm. replace the barbecue sauce with the sriracha and um, maple syrup money. That sounds pretty good. Is it, is it super hot? Um, no, cause the, the maple syrup makes it really sweet. So it's more of like a subtle, it's, it's more of a so, subtle spice, but it's, I would say it's more sweet than spicy for sure. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's like sweet, hot. I would say it's more of like sweet with just a little kick of hot. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I can get my kids to eat that. That's the biggest thing about like my recipes that I choose to smoke is, uh, most of the times I make them too spicy for my kids and I'm like, Oh, it's not that spicy. It'll be fine. And they're over there crying. It's too spicy. Yeah. So, maple syrup. So strong though. It's hard to overpower that maple. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got maple syrup and I've got sriracha. So I don't have any ribs though. I scoop it some ribs. I'm going to think I'm going to try that out. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just to do a, a quick recap, kind of, you know, the, uh, we were talking about just a bunch of little mental tricks to kind of like uh, get you into the swing of things. What else did we talk about today? Uh, we talked about we talked about um, visualization. Visualization mm-hmm. was another huge one. So take that time out to if it's, whether it's five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes to visualize your lifts or your technique. It could be right before bed or first time you wake up in the morning or while you're warming up, and um, see how it carries over. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big one. I mean, I think that's huge. It's definitely worth adding in. Yeah. So I think that's a, I think that's a good one to end. I gotta, I gotta end this a little bit short today. Um, but a few other things, you know, we've got the Arnold coming up. Um, the, we got a few people going, I think we've only got like three or four. We got Marcin Trung and, uh, Cody and there might be somebody else going. I can't, can't remember. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but we've got, might have a few people going to the Arnold. So that should be fun. I heard that it's going to be one of the biggest weightlifting meets ever. I got a lot of people signed up for it. Um, I think, I think not one of, I think it's going to be the biggest one, uh, which is crazy considering the prices have like skyrocketed to go to a weightlifting meet. Um, nationals used to be $75 and now to go to this for the regular registration is $175, um, which is crazy. But, um, the the team will be heading up there. We got a few people, and um, I, you're not going to be going up there. Um, I will not be going. So I'll be getting ready for final exams during that time. So I won't be able to make it, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it might be crazy house. So you might be uh, you might be lucky. Um, we'll have uh, we'll have Tyree going up there. He's going to help coach, but uh, and he's going to help coach the uh, West Virginia people. But he is not going to be competing either, as far as I can tell. I'm pretty. I'm, yeah, he's not going to be competing. You got to get Mac and um, Carlo. They got to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think soon. Got to get them, get them excited about training about for something. 
Uh, we got Mac and Carlo doing the uh, the weightlifting meet we have at the at the gym on February twelfth. Uh, just a small little meet. I think we have one more female spot left on that, but pretty much the registration is closed for that. Uh, I am looking for judges. If anyone's out there really wants to uh, come help out and uh, be a judge, that would be a big help on February twelfth. Um, pretty low key meet. Um, it's fun if you're trying to like become a national ref um, and you need more experience. We can provide that experience. Um, but um, yeah, man, that's pretty much uh, it. Uh, what's going on with you? How how are your uh, your athletes doing? You got a you got a pretty good group. Yeah, they're doing well. So I have Aaron. She's training for nationals right now, and then Anthony's getting ready for another local competition in New York to try to qualify for the American Open too. So that's our goals for Anthony: get him to the American Open too. And then we have Jeremiah. He's getting ready to he's getting ready to deploy. Unfortunately, he's in the army. So we had a competition on the schedule to try to get him qualified for American Open as well, but we'll have to probably wait till next year just see how his deployment goes. And um, I got Ashley. She's in a school right now, but as soon as she's done with the school, it's an army school. She's in the army as well. We plan on getting her on the competition uh, platform. She has a total high enough to qualify for the open already. So she should be in the American open pretty soon as well. And then we got Danielle. Danielle is going to be hitting a local meet here soon in Idaho. So this could be exciting. Nice. Yeah, man, getting a good group. Yeah, that's just uh, this is the nature of things, you know. Life comes up, um, things happen. Got to go over and get deployed. Um, is he going to be able to train when he's over there? Well, I guess once he finds out. Yeah, he's taking. They have like this Connex that's full of weights, so he'll be able to do some training. It'll be outside, so as long as the weather's not bad. And then also Zach. I almost forgot about Zach. Can't forget about Zach. He's my first <laughs> athlete ever. He's um, he's getting ready to do. A, a local meet as well, so he can qualify for the American Open. It'll be his first American Open, and he's been hitting some big lifts lately, so I'm excited to see what he does. Awesome. Yeah, lots of competitions coming up. That's awesome. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, it's been cool to see. Uh, it's been cool to watch them and see how they uh, they progress and uh, keep getting better. Yeah, it, it adds more value to my training as well because um, it allows me to see different faults and to look at different list at the list from a different perspective. So it carries over. Yeah. Yeah. It really does just to give you a different perspective. Um, and sometimes just like going through gives, you know, that's a, that's a trick that uh, the teachers do as well. You know, they have their students teach their peers and it, uh, it makes both students learn the subject better. And like, so I, I found that out with me a lot. Like once I started coaching, I started getting a better understanding of a lot of things in weightlifting just because, uh, just through coaching, um, just through coaching different people with different body types, you know, I got a deeper understanding of, you know, kind of the sport as a whole, you know, then that goes into like programming technique and kind of the, the whole deal. So there's definitely a ton of value that I think you can get out of coaching too, as an athlete, you know, as a coach athlete kind of combo. Yeah, so if you guys haven't watched our YouTube video yet, be sure to check out the link. Um, I got a link in my bio where you can just hop on YouTube and type in James Tatum and pull up his page, and it's on there as well. Uh, it's got some good information about star positions on there, and it's got a drill that can help you strengthen your star position as well. So be sure to give that a, a look, like, share, subscribe. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, man. You, uh, you did a good job editing that too. So it, uh, I think there's some good information in there. You know what I should do is I should put, uh, I should put that up on our blog as well. Um, cause we put all these podcasts up there on the blog. Um, so then you, if you guys just wanted to go to like houseofweightlifting.com, you could just kind of, you know, press the blog thing and get instant access to all these. Um, yeah, maybe I'll get on that. Um, cause then we're going to start putting out some more content with, uh, with YouTube videos once a week and then the podcast once a week. So lots of things coming. So uh, I think that's it today. I've got to run down the road and pick up my son at the bus stop. And he's got a little half day of school today. So uh, I think we'll cut it there today. Um, So where can people find you, George? Uh, You can find me at George81KG on Instagram or at the House of Weightlifting page. Perfect. And you can find me at James Tatum USA and at House Weightlifting on Instagram. Um, and then uh, houseofweightlifting.com. Um, 